He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies, episode 10. I'm here once again with all the Munsons. I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their world. Warren, it feels like something big happened in your life recently. So, like, the past week or two, I've just been absolutely... I've been covered, like, head to toe and piss and shit, so I'm really into Dutch porn now. No, um, <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a dad. I uh, got a little man running around and uh, already looking forward to him uh, putting me in a home when I get of age. <laughs> Congratulations on the little Munson, man. That's awesome. Congratulations, yeah. Warren. He's a blast. Should we anticipate he's going to make a guest appearance at some point in the background of the episode? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we do a, an entire cover of, like, The Wiggles sometime, <laughs> yeah, we can probably do uh, get him in there in a little while. Full 10-minute breakdown of his opinion on The Wiggles. Yeah, yeah. We can hear him just say, mash, sing mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes over and over, or you know, fruit salad, stuff like that, so... I can almost see the reviews on that episode now. It's beautiful. Yeah. Case. Now, I'm assuming everybody's seen Groundhog Day, right? Of course. Absolutely. I'm nervous that I'm losing concern for the ramifications of my actions. Oh, I feel I like every day I care <laughs> less and less and less. But at the same time, I've also set my alarm to wake up to Sunny and Cher every day. So I, I don't know which direction <laughs> I'm going. But What song? I got you, babe. Yeah, of oh, course. Good. Of course. Well, what did we learn from Groundhog Day? You have to do good deeds, Craig, and you will come out of this. Rigby. How's Iowa, man? It's good. I made the trek from New York City to Marion, Iowa this week, or actually last week. I drove 16 hours. I stopped at the border of Indiana and Ohio for just for a hotel, a night for a night at a hotel. Woke up the next morning and, and hit the road again, and I was here just under 16 hours, so it was a good drive. Did you pick up a hitchhiker that was pitching you six-minute abs? <laughs> Thankfully, I did not. Thankfully, they didn't find his body next to my uh, next to my seat uh, on the car ride home. But yeah, it was a good drive. It had XM radio to keep me busy, and I'm happy to be out of the craziness that was New York during quarantine, that's for sure. James. What's going on, fellas? Had my uh, birthday last week. Took off from work. I uh, turned 32, which I think was the same age as Jesus when he died. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and much like Jesus, I spent my birthday playing video games all day and not changing out of my PJ. So it was an enjoyable birthday. I can confirm he was doing that because I joined him for about an hour of that marathon. In my world, I'm, I'm just happy to still be surviving and staying semi-healthy on this end. Nothing exciting to report other than we have another esteemed guest joining us for Munson's at the Movies. This would be our third guest. His name is Dan Craig, and I'm going to spend an abundant amount of time reading his bio, so give me a couple <laughs> minutes here. Uh, Dan is a high school English and film teacher who has the dubious distinction of knowing Craig Case for 20 years. That's all you really need to say. <laughs> That's right. about it. Lucky man. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Dan, tell us a little bit about the world of teaching high school English and being a film teacher. Well, right now, it's not very exciting because I'm doing it all from home, unfortunately. But when you know we can be in the class, it, it's pretty awesome. In my film class, 
I usually hit my students right away with uh, Jaws on like day one. What a class. Do they write that movie off immediately because it's old and then you have to be like, it still holds up. And then they watch it and they're like, wow, that's still terrifying. Or are people kind of bought in even though they've heard the hype, but they've maybe never seen it before? It's more uh, like the first part of what you're saying. They'll they'll blow it off at first, you know, and all oh, the shark is fake and, you know, so on. But it, it wins them over by the end of it. And you'd be surprised how many of them have not seen Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, they've all seen uh, Deep Blue Sea. Or yeah, the exactly. <laughs> I would be impressed if they saw Deep Blue Sea at this point. <laughs> Gen Z. Yeah. Hey, you could do a lot worse than Deep Blue Sea. Absolutely. This is true. So, Dan, what's the one movie you've always wanted to show in your classes that you've just never found a way to, to show? A Few Good Men. That was on TV last night. Oh, I'm sorry. I Love missed that it. movie. Yeah, that's a great one. I could probably work it in for, you know, if you're doing genres and you do courtroom dramas, because it's probably the best courtroom drama. Or you just look at it for acting and so on. But I, for whatever reason, I haven't found a way to just get it in where we watch the whole thing. At the end of the day, you can always say, you can't handle the truth. To Absolutely. Students, right? <laughs> that, that ending monologue scene is so unbelievable. I've like watched that separately on YouTube. Just be like, wow, still yeah. amazing. Oh, it's awesome. How does that scene compare to Pacino and Son of a Woman in his courtroom scene? All right, May 21st, we've got some birthdays. Boy, do we. Uh, not really, but uh, first off, we're going to start with uh, Mr. T from A-Team, Rocky Three, and the janitor from Not Another Teen Movie. <laughs> so Rocky 3 was forever ago. My guess is this guy's in his late 60s. I'm going to go 67. Damn, that's a good guess. I'm going to go 70, Warren, on the dot. Give me 71. Shoot, I don't know. Uh, 68. I'll go lower than everybody. I'll go lower. I'll go even lower than you. I'll go 65. 68. Craig squeaked in there. Great. Nice. I actually did math on that one in my head. That's what took me so long. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have Judge Reinhold from Fast Times Ridgemont High, the Santa Claus, and from Arrested Development Mock Trial with Judge Reinhold. (laughs) (laughs) And Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. I just like throwing out a a bastard of a movie. My guess is that he died after his last movie, so his last birthday, he was 49 years old. <laughs> Good Lord. Stab in the dark. I'm going 65, Warren. Uh, 58 for me. I go 61. I'm going to try. I think, I think Warren's trying to trick us. I'm going to say 68 again. He's 63. So Dan, what? Dan sneaking in there. Nice. He is alive. That's yeah. good to know. Good for Jeff. Okay, so, uh, yeah, aside from those actors, the only other real birthday was, uh, and this is someone who was deceased, was Notorious B.I.G. So, oh. R.I.P., and that's Big all for the birthdays. All right, here were the five actors that we were talking about this week. We pulled from the list. We had Gabrielle Union Wade, Andrew Garfield, Christina Ricci, Jesse Eisenberg, and Chris O'Dowd. And we had a 40% chance of watching The Social Network for this episode. Turns out the odds were against us, and we won the 60% with Chris O'Dowd. Before we dig deep into his filmography, we see if James can stump us on all things Chris O'Dowd. 
Dan, I want to give you the heads up if you haven't listened to us before. I do two truths and a lie about the actor of the day. So two of these facts are going to be true about Chris O'Dowd, and one of them is going to be a lie, but they will actually be a fact about an actor that stars in the Fast and the Furious franchise. Mm. Use that as you want to figure out which one of these is the lie. The guys are pretty good at it, so I've had to get really tricky on this. So the first fact about Chris O'Dowd is that he competed in Olympic trials and placed 12th at the World Championships for diving before getting into acting. Second fact is his wife didn't take his name when they got married, and she actually just added an O apostrophe in front of her own last name. And the third fact is he played minor league Gaelic football until he was 21 years old. I will, uh, I'm going to say number one's the lie. I'm going to say number three's a lie because Vin Diesel was imported to take over the uh, Irish football league. <laughs> <laughs> Big dude. I'm going to go one is the lie as well, Gene. I will say one is the lie. Um, I'm going one, and that was Jason Statham. And uh, Warren is correct. One was, in fact, a Jason Statham fact. That's impressive. Warren you know is that. actually an accomplished swimmer. Being a swimmer, <laughs> that was kind of my thing. <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, that's true. So I did not put that into consideration when I was coming up with these facts, despite knowing that about you, Warren. So that made that a little bit more difficult. But yes, that is, in fact, the lie. You guys were very good with that one. Chris, uh, hysterically, his wife just put an O in front of her own last name, and she went from the name of Don Porter to Don O. Porter, which I think is hilarious. Um, and he actually played minor league Gaelic football until he was 21. He said he was tall, and that's why he was good at it. Yeah, he played goalie, so that helps. Yes, it does. As a goalie, I can confirm. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I've ever played Gaelic football, so what the hell do I actually know? Hey, that's a sneak preview because we're going to be talking a lot about his uh, his Irish background because in every role I've seen except for one, he's rocking the Irish accent. He brings it with him everywhere he goes. Tell us a little bit about his snapshot and box office history. I was very surprised the amount of movies he's in that have performed moderately well or, or extremely well. Every week, I, I, try to, I try to identify all the information from the movies we're looking at, and it ends up being somewhere between 15 and 20 movies for everybody. And he only has two movies that I found that have lost money. Everything else has wow. gotten to budget or, or far exceeded. Anybody want to take a stab at the two movies that actually lost money in the box office? Gulliver's Travels. That cast is stacked. Okay, that's one guess. I bet that I bet that still made money. You think so? Just on name recognition. It's idiots like to go see it. I'm going to go Pirate Radio. So we've got a Gulliver's Travels, Pirate Radio. I think Dinner for Schmucks uh, was a was a bomb, wasn't it? All right. So the the two that lost money, Pirate Radio, and the Double. Kyle, you'll be happy to know that uh, Gullible's Travels made $125 million. Jack Black will bring anybody. Bridesmaids is one of the movies that he was in that was the most successful. It made eight times the budget on that movie. Damn. Budgeted yeah. for $32 million and um, profited $256 million. Yeah, that thing. I remember when that came out, it was just... Every every girl and her friends and moms, they all just went out and watched it. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to believe them when they said it was good and it was funny. It's fully hilarious. agree. We we can get into it later, but I am right there with you, Warren. I rewatched it and I was like, I don't think it's that good. Nope, still great. <laughs> Thanks, Case. All right, so Dow got his start in 2003. So he's been in the game for about 17 years. Normally, when we would talk through actors, we would hit their television work alongside their 
film work. In O'Dowd's case, he's done a ton of television, and it just makes sense to chunk it all together at the end. So we're going to hit his TV shows on the back end. So if you're listening and you're used to our chronological order, don't worry. We're not, we're not going to ignore those. We're just going to hit them all at one time because there's a lot on the TV side to cover. His first role was in Red Cap in 2003. He was in one episode of the show. Also 2003, he was in Conspiracy of Silence. And then 2004, he was in Vera Drake. And Dan, I know you have seen this movie. I have seen it probably when it first came out, and I haven't looked back since. Um, <laughs> made an impression, huh? It made quite an impression. <laughs> it got a couple Oscar nominations. I think uh, Imelda Staunton, who stars in it, was nominated for Best Actress. Mm-hmm. She was. You know, it's about you know a woman's struggle to help women in the 50s looking to get abortions. Chris O'Dowd is such an important role that he doesn't even have a name Ooh. in it. He is referred to in the IMDb credits as Sid's customer. Yo. Wow. Riveting performance. Riveting sure. performance. <laughs> it paved the way for a lot of other things. Even though he has a very minor role, but it makes sense. It's early in his career. He's getting some smaller roles. 2005, he's in a movie called Festival, which technically is his first feature film, one that we wanted to cover. Uh, we just couldn't find a copy of it. And it's also technically his largest critic gap, given that the critics gave it an 80 and audiences gave it a 54. This movie technically hits two of our categories, but unfortunately, we couldn't find it. Um, and he has a pretty prominent role in the in the movie, so we can't speak much to it because we couldn't cover that film. Uh, we had to find a replacement. As we contemplated what that option would be, we looked at trying to find a 2000 film, 2007 film called Hotel Very Welcome. Couldn't find that one. So instead, we went with his performance in the IT crowd. He plays Roy Treneman, and it is probably, and you guys can um, tell me if you think I'm wrong, but one of his bigger shows in terms of his notoriety. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. Ask the average person about Chris O'Dowd. um, There's a good chance they're going to know about his role in this show. And I had the pleasure of covering this one. For those of you who haven't seen the IT crowd, it had five seasons. It uh, It ran from 2006 to 2013. Six episodes per season, 22 minutes per episode, 22 to 25 minutes. So very digestible. Only 30 episodes. So if you're intrigued by this and you want to check it out, it's pretty easy to digest over a weekend. Yeah, you can watch that or you can watch uh, Tree of Life, and this is going to be shorter. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. 100%. I'll give you the description from online to kind of describe the show, and then I'll get into more of the minutia. So deep in the sub-basement of the ambiguous company of Reinholm Industries, which never tells you what they exactly do, are not one but two socially awkward IT guys. Moss, an electronics wizard, an overly naive man, and Roy, a lazy, disgruntled worker, have to provide support for Reinholm Industries with their inept boss, Jen, who doesn't know the difference between hardware and software. The entire show just revolves around their antics, both at work and out socially, which always usually ends badly. They're very socially awkward IT guys. Um, They're very lazy. Um, and it, it stars him and Richard Ayaodi uh, and Catherine Parkerson. Now, I'll say this. Uh, I did some research on this. I texted some of my IT buddies because I had read online that this show's got a huge cult following. I never, I'd seen it on Netflix, but I'd never really stumbled across it before. But I texted my buddy Kevin, who full-time IT guy, and he said he's seen it start to finish twice. And they quote it all the time in the office because everything's pretty realistic when it comes to uh, to the IT world. So, for example, in the show, in the first episode, O'Dowd's character has an answering machine on his desk, 
So when people call down to IT because they're in this little corner of the basement, no one really knows they're there. <laughs> the machine literally goes, have you tried turning your computer on? <laughs> they go, no. And he goes, okay, do that. And then they hang up. And he's got another one where he asks, uh, have you tried forcing an unexpected reboot? They get the same bullshit questions. And if you've talked to IT people, you know they get tired of doing the same thing, like restart your computer and then come back to me and we'll figure out the rest. So the show plays on that really well and is pretty authentic from that standpoint. I would say the part that drives me crazy, and I know it drives you crazy, Warren, I, th I think that's the reason why you probably gave up on it after a little bit, is there are laugh tracks over the show. Sometimes the jokes are good, sometimes they're not. And as a result, it gets old very quickly. That's part of it. Not only that, but the uh, the fact that this is the way some of these British like comedy shows are filmed. It's almost like a reality TV show where they're like following someone around and they show something and then they show their face and their face is like mm -hmm. over dramatized and there's like bullshit music in the back. It makes me feel like they're, they're treating me like a five-year-old yep. and it's just not funny. It's just not funny to me. It would benefit from an approach that would be similar like the office or parks and rec, like break the fourth wall, not have the laugh tracks. And I think you could really maximize that type of comedy. I mean, it's British comedy, so maybe, you know, American folks, what, 15 years later, it's yeah. not going to appeal to us. I'm just not sophisticated enough. <laughs> I guess not. We're, we're just not there. <laughs> what I'll say about O'Dowd is his character, Roy, is this very socially awkward, struggles at the, the his love life. I'll say he's not the star. Richard I Iote is definitely the star of the show. He's witty. He's clever. Roy is very loud and boisterous and exuberant. And he slows down as I think he becomes a more accomplished actor over the years. That seven-year span, you can tell he kind of hones his craft. I will say, to your point, Warren, a lot of his comedy is it's a lot of facial expressions where he's like wiggling his face back and forth. And there's the language itself is just kind of messy. But that's the IT crowd. It's a, it's a decent show if you're into IT, right? If you love IT, it's great. If not, it's probably a missable show. 2006 to 2008, he's in a TV movie called Showbands 2. He's in the Hotel Very Welcome, aforementioned, that German film, 2007. And then he's also in How to Lose Friends and Alienate People uh, in 2008, a Simon Pegg movie. That jumps us to 2009, his largest audience gap. And that's Frequently Asked Questions About Time Travel. And James is going to talk about that one. Frequently Asked Questions About Time Travel. Quick synopsis. It's uh, while drinking at a local pub, three nerds who hysterically refer to the word nerd as the N-word. They are led by O'Dowd's character. They attempt to navigate a time travel conundrum that's kind of set in motion by an encounter with a mysterious time travel cop. Not joking around, played by Anna Faris. So when you kind of understand that plot, you kind of understand the, the type of movie you're, you're getting into, right? This is a comedy. It's not supposed to be taken too seriously. Um, and they kind of go on a tour through a series of possible futures while using the time traveling bathroom at the bar. The movie's quick. It wisely kind of restricts itself to just the single location, the pub, despite going through multiple timelines. One thing I like about it is it plays on the audience expectations of time travel traditions and kind of pokes fun at them. They talk about how like, you know, there's the chaos theory and the butterfly effect. Like if you kill someone now, it'll drastically affect the future and you'll wipe out generations. And like, you also can't bang anybody now as well and the guy's like why is that relevant like who do you think we're having sex with during this situation <laughs> like, all right well let's just play it safe and no one touch themselves either you know like, you just be right about this you don't see this watch this movie thinking you're going to see a sci-fi movie that like is expecting to be groundbreaking you should watch it expecting it to be dumb and funny uh kind of reminded me of like 
Shaun of the Dead, but with time, tab, uh, time travel instead of zombies. While it's not groundbreaking or mildly thought-provoking, it's still amusing. It has a bunch of good one-liners shared between the three main characters. O'Dowd is charming and witty and delivers a bunch of good jokes throughout this movie, but he's not asked to really do much more than that. I think the audience rating here is exactly what the movie deserves. I think a thir- uh, 38 is a little low. I think 60 is right on the button, so I'd give it a 6 out of 10. Uh, it's got a couple good laughs, and it's a cool premise, but there isn't much more to it other than what I've mentioned, so 60 is fair. bunch of good one-liners, but you probably wouldn't re-watch it again after your first go-through. Between 2009 and 2010, he was in Pirate Radio. He played a character named Simon. Simple Simon. He was a morning mm-hmm. DJ. The movie's great. Uh, definitely, I think it's historically based where uh, the UK was really starting to put the wrenches to uh, radio and with the like the punk wave and the rock wave coming out uh, in the 70s. A bunch of DJs went and hopped on a boat in the middle of the ocean, like in international waters, and they could broadcast what they wanted without being controlled by the government. And O'Dowd was one of those guys. Interesting thing about this movie, it actually had a different name overseas. It was called Boat That Rock. If you mentioned Pirate Radio anywhere outside of America, I don't think people will know what you're talking about. I think I like the name Pirate Radio better than the Boat That Rocked. Similar to Pirate Radio, he was in Dinner for Schmucks in 2010. He played Marco, the blind swordsman. Another smaller role, but a funny role. It was hysterical when I first saw it, but it wasn't uh, the role that he had. I was just blown away by Galifianakis. I thought (laughs) Galifianakis was so funny with his physical humor. Like The one scene I remember is him mocking Steve Carell at his desk and laughing so hard he essentially turns from like red to purple. (laughs) He's just so condescending and hilarious for like such a dork to do that to another dork. He's auditing him at that point, <laughs> checking his tax returns, and he's like, oh, you can't do this thing that is no one really knows about. Yeah, it's it's the, mind, the mind control that locks him in his place, and he can't move. <laughs> yeah. You don't have mind control. You have brain control. Brain control beats mind control nine times out of ten. O'Dowd's character, he, 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 at this uh, dinner for incredible people, extraordinary people as some might call it, um, or idiots as I call them in the movie, uh, he is a blind swordsman and he's a fencer. And I just remember that there's a part where Carell's character is describing his stuffed rat thing. He was ta- yeah, he was taxidermy with mice dead mice yeah he's he's walking through all these different formats and environments for his taxidermied mice and at one point it just he mentions painting and it goes over to o'dowd's character and he goes i love to paint love to paint and the guy goes are you any good he goes i don't know (laughs) and the guy goes oh how would you (laughs) it's just like clearly (laughs) his delivery is so good on that are you any good i don't know so yeah, so in that movie, he clearly doesn't do an Irish accent, right? <laughs> Playing a guy named Marco. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and then at the end of the uh, the scene, he ends up uh, pretending to fight somebody um, yeah. and ends up cutting holes in the the wall and almost killing people. So it's it's a small role, but it's an entertaining one. Some some say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not. <laughs> you, yeah you're not the only one what are you the talking about that's that's the quote i'm saying i'm a dreamer but i'm not the only one i, I don't think you're getting that right <laughs> and jermaine clement is awesome in that i'll give he's i, I like his character I love in that. Jermaine Clement. he's good he'd be fun to cover at some point so following that 2010 
we experience his lowest critic score. And that's the aforementioned Gulliver's Travels. Uh, and Cases got that one. Lowest critic score ends up being a 20. Oof. I'm going to tell you on the front end of this, I'm in the 20. I'm, I'm siding on the side of the critic before I even talk about this. Gulliver's Travel is loosely based on the fantasy book written in the 1700s by Jonathan Swift. It is so loosely based on the book that it's not even mentioned in the credits. Yep. <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that was a good sign. I thought there were more remakes of this story than there are, but there's only four films. I think there have been some shows and some cartoons, but there's only been four different films. I was reading this this website talking about the, these four movies. They all share two qualities. One is a showcase of the latest film technology of that era. And then two, it's a prior, prioritization of spectacle over plot. And so it, it's kind of a, um, you know, be a good lesson for your class, Dan, to, to look at each movie in their era. Right. And, and showcase the advances in technology based on that. I am not the target audience of this movie, and I had a very hard time being invested in it. Jack Black, who was just a, a massive star in the early 2000s, he plays the main role of Gulliver. He's an upbeat but lowly mailroom employee who's just stuck in, in life. One of the funny things in the movie is how, to highlight how stuck he is, we inch, we're introduced to T.J. Miller's character who just starts working, and he's under Jack Black's character, and within one day he gets promoted to be Jack Black's boss. You know, desperate to impress his boss, played by Amanda Peet, he plagiarizes some travel articles and turns them in, you know, you would think an editor would be able to pick up on plagiarism better than she did, but she was so impressed that she sent him to Bermuda on a uh, remote assignment. While he's traveling to Bermuda, he gets sucked up into this uh, typhoon or something, and he gets transported to this fantasy land where he's a giant and everyone else is a miniature. Once he's in Lilliput, we eventually meet his adversary named General Edward, who's played by O'Dowd. Um, the two are at odds because Gulliver is viewed kind of as a as this hero and this this savior and, and protector of the land, and um, that's supposed to be O'Dowd's role as the general. I would sum it up like this: It's basically watching a bunch of big name actors taking turns throwing softballs to Jack Black for him to try to hit home runs with jokes. It's like a rom com with no romance and no comedy. <laughs> A no rom-com. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> that, that's the end of my review. What do you think of O'Dowd as General Edward? Do you think he sold it? Or do you think it was a detriment to the movie? He was believable as an adversary. He, he, he could be snarky, so he was kind of hateable as far as that goes. So he was good. Uh, it, was just a, it was a tough movie to appreciate him in because of how this particular movie was written. Yeah, this, the story is hard. It's just hard to follow. And why was the why was the only one with an accent? <laughs> <laughs> the wildest thing for me when I was reading the trivia on this movie is that Emily Blunt, she was originally supposed to uh, take Johansson's role in the MCU as uh, Black Widow, and she turned that down to do this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh what God. a huge mistake! Because <laughs> she said this was like the girliest role she's ever been in, and I, that's I don't know if it's. True or not, but I read that that she turned that down to take this role, and that's that's a, talk about your uh, what ifs, all time what ifs, holy hell. Well, thank goodness because Scar Scarjo is fantastic for she Black is. Widow. Agreed. All right, so as the decade closes, uh, 
his career gets extremely busy, guys. So uh, 2011, he's in Bridesmaids, which is just a massive hit as Officer Rhodes. What Warren mentioned is kind of how I felt when it first came out and it was getting so much hype as being hilarious. Uh, similar to how Warren feels about any sort of hype, whether it be positive or negative, I'm usually kind of counter to that initially because yeah. I feel like it ruins an experience. Um, so I went into it with kind of my guard up and I remember leaving and be like, oh, that actually was, that was funny, but I didn't think it was great. And then I recently rewatched it and it's absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. It is such a funny movie. Um, it deserves all the hype that it got. Melissa McCarthy got nominated for Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. And when you watch it, like she's not playing this super in-depth character. It's just a funny character. And so <laughs> I thought it was interesting to see the Academy uh nominate someone for playing just a purely comedic role like that which yeah. i thought was it doesn't nice. happen that often no it doesn't. no not at all something has to be said that you know this is a movie that obviously the the four lead characters are women five lead characters i guess uh but he's kind of the lead guy in this movie i mean even though he's got a, a smaller role the closest would probably be john ham but he is hilarious <laughs> he's so great in that he's hilarious too but i would say o'dowd has the he's the leading guy in this in this movie yeah he kind of has a stick with his sort of witty Irish humor, but he's he's got a romantic side in it as well. And he's in two other movies in 2011, 2012. He's in Friends with Kids and 321, Frankie Go Boom. Also 2012, he's in the highest critic score, which is a movie called The Sapphires. It's currently available on Netflix. And Rigby is going to talk about this one. First of all, I love like 60 soul music, and that's what this movie revolves around. You know, it's got a great soundtrack. Uh, they say it's based off a true story. It's based off the group, uh, The Sapphires, who a 60s uh, soul group from Australia. The interesting thing about this story is that they're indigenous Australian women. And so they're basically second-class citizens. There was a pretty big racial divide, racial tension in Australia at this time. So Chris O'Dowd's character, Dave Lovelace, he plays this talent scout who discovers these Aboriginal Australian women playing at this talent show. They sing this awesome song, um, this Merle Haggard song, you know, he says that they should win, but because they are they are indigenous Australian, the crowd is against them from the very beginning. They have no chance of winning, basically. But then he convinces the group to travel to Vietnam. He gets them an audition, I should say, to sing for troops uh, fighting in the Vietnam War um, in 1968. And so they go from there to adding one of their uh, one of their sisters who was taken into a white family. In, in the early 1960s in Australia. So it's these four women and it's Chris O'Dowd. And they're basically, they're basically playing in different nightclubs and bars, entertaining troops in uh, 60s Vietnam. Predominantly African-American troops. Predominantly African-American troops. And Chris O'Dowd has sort of a love interest with the lead sister, I would say, Gail, who's played by Deborah Mailman. She's an Australian actor. All of the women in this movie, as far as I could tell, were, were, um, were Australian. Mm-hmm. I think O'Dowd was the only mm-hmm. one who... Uh, who was not a major Australian actor. Mm-hmm. I love the movie. I, I thought it, the music was awesome. O'Dowd plays the sort of drunk, lazy, funny talent scout who gives these, gives these women a chance. Uh, the ironic part is that character was made up in the movie. He was not a real person, Dave Lovelace, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of thought was interesting that a, a le- maybe they needed like a, a male role in it to sort of take the pressure off the, the four women actors. I don't really know why they added him if he wasn't a real person in real life. but. He's hilarious. The movie's great. Good soundtrack. Uh, sort of portrays the the civil unrest really well. I thought. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I was I was happy to watch it. I, Kyle, I don't have the Rotten Tomatoes in front of me, but I think I want to say it's like a ninety or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. Ninety or ninety. It was slightly above Bridesmaids. It was like yeah. two points higher than Bridesmaids. Yeah, and I would I would give it that. He doesn't have the biggest role in the movie for what they needed. Uh, sort of a guy who who pushes these women. Who's kind of a he's kind of a jerk, but also falls in love with one of them. You know, I think O'Dowd was the perfect casting for it. Yeah, the the like you said, the soundtrack is awesome. It was a lot more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. I think I think it ran, you know, time wise, it ran perfectly. O'Dowd's character was yeah, he was added in there, but I think you need him. It's kind of like John Candy in Cool Runnings or Tom Hanks from A League of Their Own. Like you have these outcasts, and you've got somebody who's able to like connect them, bring them together. So, yeah, yeah you, well, you've got that yeah that branch to like the the world uh-huh. you know since they're they're coming from you know literally bumfuck australia yeah and you're going to saigon to go do yep. a bunch of stuff it's a hidden gem it's definitely a hidden no doubt gem. it's yeah yeah nice uh, sapphire gem uh. oh <laughs> <laughs> i wish i could say i planned that but i did not <laughs> Appreciate you, Rigby. 2013, he's an epic. 2013, he's also in the double that we mentioned earlier. 2013 is a busy year because he was also in Thor Dark World in the MCU as Richard, Natalie Portman's love interest, kind of. He's in two scenes in that one, so it's pretty limited. It doesn't really matter who was in the role. You just need someone to be the one that's competing with Thor to get Thor all razzled up in the movie. That one actually made sense that it was him because Natalie Portman was in the UK. So it made sense to have him over there. That's true. Yeah, that one made sense, yeah. 2014, he was in the movie Calvary as Jack Brennan, uh, a pretty prominent Brennan Gleeson role. It's a movie about religion, and and I think this this movie in particular helps you start to understand a little bit of his personal life and that he had really close relationships with religious figures when he was a kid, but he's he's an atheist now. He signed on to this project because he felt that a lot of the projects at the time about religion were just hit pieces. And this one is more of a, a character study behind these religious figures and how they're trying to do the right thing. And that was something attracted to him because he had such good experiences with men of faith from when he was younger. And he plays a butcher in the movie and, and who's having some marital issues. And it's it's not a major role. The movie itself is great. So I highly recommend you guys check it out if you get a chance. It was huge in Ireland, wasn't it? Yeah. So it's all filmed in Ireland, an Irish film. So yeah. um, it's... It went to Sundance in 2013. I know it was a huge hit there. I know Gleason won a BAFTA for his role mm-hmm. in that movie. 2014, he was in a movie called Cuban Fury. He played Drew. Uh, he plays kind of like a cocky asshole in the office who is challenging Nick Frost's character for the girl. And so he just kind of plays a douchebag in there. Did you, any of you guys watch that one? It, instead of Blades of Glory, it was that but salsa. And yep. so he mm-hmm. played the combination of... Will Arnett and Amy Poehler as like the bad people. Yep, it's a that's a really good comparison. If you love salsa and like the the culture around salsa and bachata and all that, it's a really cool movie. Like I sent that text to my buddy who's big into that. I was like, if you haven't seen this, you need to check it out because the dance scenes are awesome. Like they're really really well choreographed. Uh, but if you don't care about salsa and bachata, it's probably just an okay movie. It's that you're not not going to connect with it on a deep level. Also, 2014, he was in the uh, the film adaptation of of Mice and Men. So he played Lenny, and it. I will say, I haven't seen this one, but it's really hard to live up to Malkovich as Lenny in the original with Gary Sinise. So oh, he's great. I, he got nominated for a Tony Award, though. He did. He did. So he probably crushed it because uh, Franco plays the other character. So that's he and James Franco. James, not not Dave. Yes. 
important distinction. Dan is our guest. Uh, he gets to to pick a movie, so he's got Munson's choice. We we cover the five categories. Threw out the other options, and he picked the program. Um, a Chris O'Dowd and Ben Foster special from 2015. Dan, tell us about it. Not to be confused with the uh, 1993 James Caan football movie, The Program. Hell yeah. Which, which we love on this oh, Great movie. Right. Uh, yeah, this is the Lance Armstrong movie. Um, O'Dowd plays um, an Irish journalist who struggles for years to try to bring to light the truth uh, about Lance Armstrong's doping uh, journalist, David Walsh. And the movie shows him. Did any guys see it? Do you guys watch it? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So jump in with how you feel about this, but I feel like the movie portrays him in the beginning as the only guy who could ever consider the possibility that Lance Armstrong would ever dope. Um, I mean, he's yep. calling it back in like 2001 or something like that and he's got some some killer lines in the beginning when he's sitting with all his other fellow journalists you know it's like i tell you lance armstrong is doping and everyone you know says he's ridiculous there's no way um i feel like the movie gave him really short shrift um o'dowd is he's fine in it like he's he's good but they don't really give him a whole lot to do um this is really ben foster's movie and you know in all fairness ben foster is pretty awesome as Lance Armstrong, yes. even down to how he looks like they did. He looks mm-hmm. so much like, him. right. Yeah. Um, in fact, I read that he in, you know, Ben Foster, you know, he, who has, I guess has a history of getting really into character. Um, he helped himself to quite a few performing performance enhancing drugs during the filming of this movie to get into the <laughs> habit. Oh, yeah. Really? He's actually on, on interview for saying that. So, um, he even had his uh, testicle surgically removed. So he could do the work. <laughs> he dated Cheryl Crow for He's a while. He's all in. <laughs> character. He's all, he went all in. That's good. But you know what I mean? Like, I th- feel like he, there's like a whole like 25 minute section about halfway through the movie where O'Dowd just disappears. And mm-hmm. it, there's no, you know, they're kind of built together, like on the same screen and on the posters like the two it's like starring ben foster and chris o'dowd and o'dowd really doesn't get much to do with his screen time and like i said there's a whole chunk in the movie where he's just gone and it focuses on you know armstrong and you know how he gets his program running and when they bring in floyd and you know floyd landis and so on that o'dowd just kind of drops off the face of the movie and i don't feel it's anything having to do with him his performance is is fine he's effective but I feel like the movie didn't want to go, you know, full in with you know him trying to uncover the truth about Armstrong. He just knows from from minute one, and he's the only one. And then eventually, oh yeah, I was right all along. Yeah, it wasn't a, a journalist mo- journalism movie, right? It was a cycling movie with a journalism spin. And that's what I thought going in. It was going to be a journalist, like kind of like a, you know, like in all the president's men or spotlight or something. Yeah. His role is that it's a plot device mm-hmm. to to bring down Lance and, and mm-hmm. tell that story. But ultimately, it's it's about him and uh, Jesse Plemons and Floyd Landis, like those two, and their ego battles going back and forth in terms of the the spotlight. Definitely, it's a good movie, man. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it as well. I just love Ben Foster. He's he's one of my favorite actors, and <laughs> this was just like another thing. It's like, oh well, you know. Lo and behold, uh, someone just gets completely overshadowed by the performance of Ben Foster because he is that intense and he always dives in on characters and he just 
he looked and acted just like Lance Armstrong in this. Absolutely. That's that Maharishi transcendental meditation shit, man. Those people are those people are uh, are strange cats, and that's where Ben Foster comes from. That's where he gets his intensi- intensity from, I think. I, I think I've mentioned it to Kyle like multiple times. I just assume he's probably just a strange dude in general yeah. because he always kills strange people. Yeah. Roles. Like mm-hmm. eccentric, aggressive, intense. Like he's probably just that in real life. Yep. That's why he's perfect for this movie. Like he's I don't know who else right. you picked to play Armstrong. Yep. Just kind of like a loose cannon, never no don't know what direction he's gonna go. Yeah, that's perfect. It's a particular pathology that you need for someone to carry. Have any of you guys heard of this movie before that we did this podcast? No. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. I did. I not. watched it years ago. It was a big hit with the U.S. box office of thirteen thousand. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I was going to say I'd never heard of it before this, and I love Ben Foster. And it's a big time director too. Stephen Frears is Oscar nominated director. He's done a bunch of stuff like this. Like I feel like this didn't even make a make a dent in the national uh, scene. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a sixty-two. It's 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 more than that. Yeah, I would say. I put in the high seventies. Yeah, I, I feel like if people hate a movie, they're way more willing to review a movie to say they hate it than people who are like, "Yeah, I thought it was pretty good." That doesn't like compel you to go online and be like, "It's pretty good. It's not great. It's not terrible, but pretty good." Like you don't get a lot of seven and eight reviews. It's like ten or zero. Mm. <laughs> I don't. know, Maybe people just had like Lance Armstrong jet lag. Like they just had enough of the guy. And so didn't want to watch a biopic about his life. Could be. They all wanted they all wanted refunds on their Live Strong bands. I tell you what though, that movie must have been paid by the color yellow because there is everything yellow in that movie. Even the even the microphone that he's talking into during his press conferences is yellow. Damn. That was we don't talk tanky. enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We don't talk enough about the color palettes in films, so that's good. Because that shit's a well, it makes it makes sense. Yellow is the the color of the lead jersey, and so it makes sense that it's always in there. Oh, it's all over. Yeah. They were they were all in yeah. postal. Yeah. All right, Dan. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah, thank you. Twenty fifteen. He's in mascots. It's Tommy Zook Zuccarello. He plays the fist, um, and he's also a really good douchebag in that. Yeah. <laughs> he. What does he say, Dan? On the when he's doing that first interview, he says he <sighs> he's currently suspended for an for an unfortunate sexual incident with the owner of a, an opposing team. That's right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's him humping her right next to the glass. The yeah. whole idea—it's like Best in Show or any of these other movies where they mm-hmm. they basically do a pageant at the end and do these routines. Everyone else is like really clever. His is him going out there as the fist and just like destroying a goalpost and then some guy dressed as a ref trying to put him in the penalty box him <laughs> killing the guy taking the dead body and throwing it on the judge's table <laughs> <laughs> and it's jane lynch like losing her mind and crying because she's so shattered by it so he's he plays a really good like comedic douchebag in that he's he's really good um 2016 he was in miss peregrine's home for peculiar children play frank Dan, you saw that one. Yeah, that was a. It's a. It's a like a young adult series of uh, books. It's almost like an X Men for teenagers kind of house. It was Miss what Miss Peregrine runs. O'Dowd plays the main character. Is uh is played by Ace Butterfield, and he plays his dad. And he's only got a couple scenes in it, but he's he's pretty good. He's actually kind of quiet, and you know he's got some sadness to him. 
throughout there, like you can tell, he he can't really connect with his son, and the two of them are always at odds throughout the course of the movie. Um, but he's he's pretty good. He's pretty effective in that movie. 2017, we, we run into his largest critic gap. Uh, another movie that's uh, similar to the Staffires, and then it's available on Netflix, and that's the incredible Jessica James. Uh, and Warren has got this one. Jessica Williams got got a bunch of uh, notoriety from being a correspondent on The Daily Show. She was also in Booksmart recently. She's a fun lead. Um, everything she does just feels genuine. She really keeps your attention. The whole movie centers around her and her relationships, getting over one with Lake Keith Stanfield and attempting to find a new one. William Stanfield, O'Dowd, and Jessica's friend, Noel Wells, who plays her friend Tasha, who happens to be the funniest person in this movie. They're all solid, but just how they kind of inter like intertwine with each other in the story is where things kind of get off for me. The dialogue is quick, it's witty, maybe chuckle from time to time. Uh that said, it, it didn't really do anything the the thing that didn't really do anything for me was her job dream, aka the main purpose of the movie of writing plays and teaching kids to write plays. I know that makes me I know that makes me sound like a real asshole. I know it's her passion, but to me it, it offers nothing to the movie. It's just like this side story that doesn't really tie anything else into it, except at the very end when they end up going over to London, which big whoop, but it, it, I think if you take that out of the movie, you get an eighty minute movie. It's already an eighty minute movie, which I, I love that it was eighty minutes because I didn't love the movie. But if you take away half of it, you've got a like an hour-long TV movie on Comedy Central. O'Dowd was good enough to progress the plot. He, he was entertaining at times. He's you know witty. He's charming. You know he needed to be around more for you to actually give a shit about his character. He's honest and really good at cunnilingus. But to make this better, <laughs> I would I would I would have stuck with more of the back and forth relationship and the juggling of Stanfield and O'Dowd. And more of their more kind of like the dream sequences that Jessica is having. The story is so common where you're kind of juggling relationships and all that stuff. I thought the the inclusion of social media was, you know, it, it dates it, but it makes it relevant. You know, a lot of people can definitely uh, relate to that. Uh, that said, I'm closer to the audience for sure. Um, probably about a 55, 60. It was definitely good to watch once, but for me, the measure of a good comedy is rewatchability, and that's just not happening. And so for our audience, it had an 88 on the critic side and a 66 on the audience side, so about a 22-point gap. It's a smaller project with good heart, and mm -hmm. it, it was a surprise when I watched it. I saw it had high reviews, so I wasn't sure what I was getting in, myself into. I'd probably fall in like the 70 range, so a little bit higher than you, but I wouldn't put it at 90. That's high. Yeah, I know. I know. I really do know. It sounds weird, but like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get the whole like the playwright and all that stuff. It just, it really felt like filler. And I know they really tried to like drive that home, but uh, I just, I just didn't give a shit. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen it, but I would say I think the whole concept of that was that she is, I think it's just supposed to just supposed to represent her struggle to be like important i think that's all it is they use her career as like a punchline a couple times you know she sits down with o'dowd for like their first date or he was like how do you pay for your apartment instead of asking like what do you do she goes i write plays and he goes so how do you pay for your apartment <laughs> <laughs> she goes oh i work for a nonprofit teaching kids how to write plays and he goes so how do you pay for your apartment <laughs> 
I was like, okay, yeah. I, I get just it. Just beat it. And beat it yeah, with a dead horse. Yeah. And then she was like, I, I live in a really shitty neighborhood. And he's like, oh, well, now I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, sh- shout out to Lakeith, because I think he's one of the better young actors in the game right now. I think he's doing yeah, some like good work. He'd be a fun one to cover as well. We're running down the, the final stretch here. Some of the his recent projects. 2017, he's in Love After Love. And uh, he's also in Loving Vincent. He played Postman Joseph Rulin. So it's about Vincent Van Gogh, and the entire film is painted like a Van Gogh film. All the characters are portrayed in his style. And so the work that went into that film is crazy to draw all the different scenes. And it's a pretty good story. He plays a postman. It's pretty minor. But in terms of like the art of the movie, it's a really cool project. So if you guys get a chance to check it out, highly recommend it. I think, I think that would like get to me after a while. I think it'd be good for like a music video or like a, a, Pixar, a Pixar short. It's impressive because they're able to draw out a 90-minute film that is pretty decent with that style. Because you would think you get tired of it pretty quickly. But the way they use colors to transform the landscapes, it's be- it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. So, And the story's pretty good, too. Because you could have a beautiful painted film like that and just have a trash story. And just waste a lot of time from your painters. But they do a pretty good job replicating it. Also 2017, he was in Molly's Game. He played Douglas Downey, the FBI informant. Juliet Naked, 2018, he played Duncan Thompson. He's in that with Rose Byrne, who plays the main role. And Ethan Hawke. Did any of you guys see Juliet Naked? So he's this film teacher that's infatuated with this American singer who, who washed out. His wife, is she hates it. And so she gets on this blog and... Just roasts Ethan Hawke's character in the movie, and Ethan Hawke enjoys it so much that he actually he starts emailing her. So this this relationship develops between the two of them, and I enjoyed O'Dowd's character in it. I, He's good. At it. I thought he was really good at at playing this kind of in control, out of control, in control, out of control character. Have you guys ever seen the the documentary Searching for Sugar Man? Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. Oh, of it. that was awesome. So, I would liken Juliet Naked and Adab's character to those guys searching for Sugar Man. Oh, okay. Very similar in that they're, they have all of these like online conversations to conspiratorialize what happened and what he's done. And he has hidden tracks and all this stuff. Sim- and that's a great movie, Search for Sugar Man. Cloverfield Paradox. The uh, I think we could say in 2018 that was the worst of the three Cloverfield movies. Um, I feel confident. I put a lot of money down on that one. He plays a character named Monday, which is... Man, what a loaded cast, but, but what a turd of a film. Yeah, yeah. it sucks. He just he was just the token Irish guy in the International Space Station oh. equivalent. I love the first two movies too, so this was a major disappointment for me. Oh man. And talk just such a good cast, just a really poor result on the back end. Um twenty nineteen, he's in Mary Poppins Returns. He plays Seamus the Coachman. It's a very small animated role. He plays a dog driving a coach, so it's minimal to say the least, but that was a good movie. And then he's in How to Build a Girl in 2019. That's the extent of his filmography. We've cornered all of his major TV show work. There's more, which is not going to be able to hit all of it. And so we're going to run through those chronologically, the different shows he's been on over the years. So he was in The Clinic from 2003-2005. He was on Roman's Empire 2007. Um, a lot of these shows were either one or two seasons, right? Not, not huge. Other than the IT crowd, most of them are pretty short runs. Um, he was in The Chris- Crimson Petal in the White in 2011. Uh, he played Thomas John in Girls in 2012-2013. I believe he's only in four or five episodes, but he marries. It's like a shotgun wedding, like a like a um, a surprise wedding to uh, to Jemima Kirk's character. 
Um, and I can't, I don't really remember what else he contributes other than that, but I know that he's not in it for very long. Um, just a, I think that's just a Judd Apatow connection that he had that that's how he got on that show. It's a popular show. So it shows up at the top of his filmography, like an IMDb. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's the important part to, to note about his role in that show. Cause right. it's pretty popular. Yeah. Uh, 2012, 2015, he's in a show called moon boy. He plays Sean Murphy, um, an imaginary friend. And the, the, he co-wrote directed and starred in it. Uh, and it's loosely based on his life. So, his dad was a sign maker. His his mom was a, like a psychiatrist. So a lot of the story of his life is in that show, and it's you learn a lot about who he was as a as a young person with all of the sisters he lived with um, in a really comedic way. And I I watched all three seasons of the show, and I thought it was really entertaining. I don't know if any of you guys caught it. I watched I watched a few episodes. Um, I enjoyed kind of the back and forth of him being the imaginary character, but I it gave me a lot of feel of like Wilfred. Mm-hmm. That said, like also like the animations that you know the kids drawing stuff and you know and animates and all that stuff. Um, it, again, it's just kind of that British humor. Like it just doesn't make me laugh. Um, so that's, uh, I guess I suck. You just yeah. didn't get it. <laughs> just one. hates the Irish. Hates <laughs> but it's, if you're interested in the backstory with Chris O'Dowd, check that one out or check out his interview with Mark Marin on his WTF podcast. He goes quite a bit into his early life and reflects a lot on the, the show moon boy. Similarly, 2013, he's in a show called family tree. He was in monsters versus aliens from 2013 to 2014 as Dr. Cockroach. He's kind of like the, you know, the man in charge of their little gang of monsters versus aliens based on the uh, the movie with uh, Reese Witherspoon and uh, Stephen Colbert as the president in that one, who sadly does not make it into the TV show, which is a shame. Was Dr. Cockroach in the movie? Was that the one that was done by Hugh Laurie? I believe you're right. Yeah. Wow. Good reference. That was that was what I had seen was the movie. I had no idea they made it into a show. Yeah, it was. Uh, I guess it didn't last very long. I feel like we watched probably all there was. Sounds like a departure into sci-fi territory a little bit. A little voice work. Plays a narrator in Puff and Rock in 2015. He's in the show Get Shorty as Miles Daly from 2017 to 2019. It's similar to Barry in ways. I got a lot of Barry vibes when I watched a couple episodes of that. I don't know if you guys got the same if you caught it. I'm a big fan of Barry, so that's it's a pretty ringing endorsement. I actually liked the movie Get Shorty. I tried watching. I remember a few years ago I tried watching this show and... It just didn't really grab me right away, and I yeah. think I made it through like two or three episodes. I, um, same way. I, I kind of wish I would have circled back on it for this podcast, but I wasn't able to. You know, Ray Romano. Oh, fantastic. Ray. Yeah, it's just like you would think it would be <laughs> – and I, I find Chris O'Dowd very funny, but you and you would think it would be a good show, but I just remember. A ton of Barry vibes, same concepts, right? He's uh, He's – one of two hitmen, they about to take this guy out and the dude's like, hey, I wrote a really good script. And the guy, he wants out of the game and decides to try to sell it to make some money for his employer. Mm-hmm. Um, it marked a departure in his career and he said this was a role he normally wouldn't take on, so he was excited to try something different. He said it was intoxicating being the heavy of like going in and just being the person that everyone fears. Like He's like, I get it. I understand why people play this character quite a bit. Is he believable? Yeah, I think he's a victim of of some typecasting in here because right. he doesn't have a lot of witty lines and, and he's, he is trying to be that intimidator and that enforcer. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wouldn't say he doesn't pull it off. 
Yeah. But at the same, same time, like I didn't, I didn't walk away from that movie going, I couldn't picture anybody else in this role. I would imagine him being in that role would be like if you had Michael Sarah try and play a heavy, and he's as maniacal as a box full of kittens. So <laughs> you're not trying to get anything from him on that. Let's just say Bill, Bill Hader does it better. Agreed, one hundred percent. And then finally, State of the Union uh, in twenty nineteen, he plays Tom, and he got a primetime Emmy nomination for this role alongside Rosamund Pike. I remember reading some articles about this and how it was like really highly rated, and it was you know. The show that critics said you had to watch, but I just never got around to it. Do you guys watch like television still? Is this like a? Do people watch cable? <laughs> I'm just not in on this loop. Like I haven't had cable in four years, dude. I'll never go back. I'm good. Me neither. I and I had cable. I had everything you could have imagined, and just watching these shows just never appealed to me. I would much rather watch movies. I'm not going to sit around and watch State of the Union or any, you know, just mm-hmm. shit like that. All right, man. I wouldn't either. I just watched them for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I Warren's watching my research, The Sopranos. Bro. That's been over for like 20 years. And it probably took like 100 people telling him, arguably the greatest yep. show ever before. He's like, all right. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're watch. watching that, Warren. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot more than almost any other show I've ever watched. So, Yep, good. Any, any other yeah. show that is like a uh, drama show? Uh, when it comes to comedies, comedies are just the best shows ever. I, I mean, it's my favorite of all time, so I'm yeah. glad to hear he's on board so far. Rigby, you have some uh, top performances for us? With O'Dowd, I think his filmography is a little too short to find a top 10 film. Also, I found this YouTube video from uh, a reviewer named The Film Fanatic, so we're going to go <laughs> off what he has Hell to yeah. say. <laughs> top 5 film and TV roles, so they're combined. So this list is as of 2018, so okay. I don't think that State of the Union or Get Shorty maybe will be in there. But this is film and TV roles, and it's, again, top five. Not so who wants IT, IT Crowd, Bridesmaids. It's gotta be. Uh, IT Crowd is number one, Roy Trenemann. That makes Absolutely. sense. And, and Officer Rhodes in Bridesmaids is number three. Give me Calvary. Mm. No. Girls? Nope. Moonboy, Sean Murphy? Nope. Oh, God. Give us a hint. I, I, are they I movie or TV? They are all movies. Ooh. Left. Sapphires. Okay. Yeah, Sapphires is two. Dave loves one. The program. No. Nope. Uh, Pirate, Pirate Radio. Yes, that is five. Simon and Pirate Radio so for five. So we're missing number four. Which this is 40, four. yeah. That's what I say. No. Nope. Huh. Mascots. Nope. This movie was made in, I, believe, I think it was 2011. Friends, friends with kids. Friends with kids. Oh, I've never seen. Mm, I don't think any of us have. Mm. I like. No, when, we I like over that when one. one pops on that to talk about. It's nice. It's like, oh yeah, we don't know everything. That's cool. We're gonna get into the the Munson meter rating system. So the way this works, um, each one of us rates the actor's career on a scale of one to a hundred, based on a series of factors. So we look at their longevity as an actor. We look at their pop culture impact. We talk about their range, right? What types of projects are, are they in? Are they in different types of characters? Um, we evaluate them based on their awards footprint, any other talents that they might have, sing, produce, um, whatever those things happen to be. We look at their personal life. Are they a good person or not? And their comedy chops. Um, I'm going to jump in and go first this time. My score is based on a few things. I think number one, he hasn't done really anything in the award game he's been nominated for a couple awards but nothing um there so he takes a big hit for me in that space 
Um, he has been on, done some stage work for, he got nominated for a Tony for Of Mice and Men. Um, I like that he's an avowed atheist and that he has renounced religion in a lot of ways, but still gives it respect. Um, personally, I, I connect to that quite a bit. I enjoyed his reflective work in Moon Boy. I think it to look back and do that in a comedic way and tell your own story, I, I like that. Uh, I think he gets, unfortunately, while he does pick successful projects in terms of ratings, he has been stuck in the let's hire the Irish guy in his Irish accent. So with all that said, I'm going to give him a 52, which is, my, I think, my lowest score. Yep. Rigby, you're up next. I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen a lot of his TV stuff. I'd be crazy to think that if I had seen his films or his TV stuff, that would probably raise the score a little bit. But I think in the movies he plays, you know, he kind of gets typecast not only as the Irish guy, but also just kind of like the asshole. I haven't really seen him do really much else. So with all that being said, I'm going to give him a 64. Oh, below a 70. We're entering below uncharted waters. Damn. Yeah, I'm going below. And I think that, yeah, that's my lowest score too. Yeah, you're consistent, man. Yeah, by, by one, you gave Craig Robinson a 65. Oh. Yeah, I think that's they're pretty <laughs> similar. They're pretty similar, I think. All right, Case. There's some things I like and there's some things that, that just didn't score well based on how I'm evaluating all of the actors the same way. You know, what kills him is the awards. Flexibility, you know, a lot of times I feel like he's playing the same role in, in different movies. And, and you almost have to look at what movie it is or see who else is in the scene to, to know what movie you're watching. He's grinded out a pretty, pretty long career. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're paying attention to the filmography as we're going through it, the roles got longer and we had more to talk about. And so I think that's a really good sign of, of solid longevity. But uh, unfortunately, my score is going to be low, and uh, it's a 57. Dan, our six months in, what do you got for us? Yeah, I agree with uh, a lot of what you guys are saying. He doesn't have uh, the – he's likable. Uh, I feel like – I agree that he feels like he's uh, he gets typecast a lot. You know, he's that Irish guy. Um, I, he's likable. He's clearly doing something right because he's getting work. Um, and he's, you know, he's in some pretty high profile stuff, you know, is usually like a fourth or fifth guy in, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to agree with the group pretty much and go over around a 60 James. Cool. So, uh, when the wheel first decided we were going to be talking about Chris O'Dowd, I truly didn't know who he was. Um, <laughs> I knew him as the guy from bridesmaids and nothing else. And then when I rewatched bridesmaids, I realized he's not even in that movie for that long. He's charming and he's quirky, uh, quirky, and he clearly has the chops for comedic acting with his kind of dry sense of humor, as well as his ability to play like a down-on-his-luck man-child slash boyfriend. So I think he'll start to blossom more as a comedic actor when he gets more and more films in the future, specifically if he can stick around Judd Apatow a little more, because that's kind of his sweet spot. Yeah, mm -hmm. He was nominated for a Tony Award in his role for Mice and Men, so he clearly has the ability to turn on the dramatic side. Uh, when the right role calls for it. He just doesn't seem to get many roles of that nature. Uh, every interview I've seen of him, though, he seems like someone that I'd love to hang out with since we share a lot of similar views of society. He just says I'm a lot funnier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, the lack of major starring roles and the lack of diversity in the roles that he's been given uh, leads me to giving my lowest score to date. Um, however, he has an apostrophe in his last name, and uh, people in the last name of an apostrophe club is a close-knit community. <laughs> so I bumped him up a little bit after that, and I ended up giving him a 43. I'm going to go ahead and round this out. Um, I, I do agree. He's a, he is a very likable person. There, there's nothing to dislike about him. He definitely seems like a guy that you'd love to just hang out with, 
have a drink. He's a fun follow on Twitter. He comments on a lot of stuff that, you know, it makes you laugh. That said, I think that his talents are probably a lot better off in the writing uh, game or like writing stand up. I, I think that he's got that, you know, that, that wit and he can kind of hit those punchlines, but I'm just, I'm not really sold in many of the movies. Uh, that said, I would love to see him in a role kind of like in Bruges, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like a, a Colin, uh, yeah, the yeah. Colin Farrell, uh, Colin Farrell and, mm-hmm. and Bernie Gleason. Mm-hmm. I like to movie. see him in something like that or see him in something with uh, Guy Ritchie. Yeah, mm. do do like a, a snatch s thing because I think he can really use his, you know go go balls of the wall with that accent, talk like a, a nasty motherfucker, and you can't <laughs> really understand what he's saying, and and just really kind of like lean into it. And I think he's dialing it back a lot. But you know, kind of like James said, if it weren't bridesmaids, uh, I probably wouldn't know his name. I'd be able to point out as you know that Irish guy. Um, but o- overall, I'm going to give him a 45. Um, and I think he can definitely, like, like you said, hitches, keep his, keep his wagon hitched to a uh, Judd Apatow because they're very, uh, very similar in their thought process and everything. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. yeah, with, with that, that brings, uh, Chris O'Dowd to a 53.5, which puts him at 10th overall. 10 out of 10. Ooh. I think he would benefit from having another like prominent Irish actor in American film mm-hmm. just to like take that off of his head so he doesn't have to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And he can like, I, I just think he struggles entering into our, our film scene with that accent because we're just not used to it. It sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. And also like the fact that the huge portion of his like, I'm sure over, over in the UK, he's, he's huge. Uh, just with the IT crowd and all that stuff, it's just it, it hasn't hit over here. It's not readily available. I mean, IT crowd's been on Netflix for ten years, and I've tried to watch it a couple times, and just just can't fucking do it. Can't do it, man. <laughs> all right, sounds like personal problem. <laughs> they reference that in uh, frequently asked questions about time travel. When at a certain point, he like stops and talks with his crew as they're like deep into the you know adventure of meeting people from the future, and he's like. All right, a little weird, but we got to make note everyone from the future is American because all the <laughs> actors from the future are American actors. Nah, bro, they're all goobacks. What are you talking about? <laughs> all right, Warren, uh, he's got some projects coming down the pike here. What, tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, so upcoming is The Starling, um, and that's got uh, Timothy Oliphant, Melissa McCarthy, uh, Skylar Gisondo, and Chris O'Dowd, and Kevin Klein. It's kind of it's a drama, and Melissa McCarthy's leading that one, so okay. oh, nice. could could be quite nice. Yeah. And then there's uh, a comedy that is has been announced. It's called The Adventures of Super Frank, written and starred by Chris O'Dowd. But that is all that we know about it. All right, we'll see what happens. We hit that part of the episode. We talk a little bit about what's on deck. So we've got five actors that we are going to put on the wheel for consideration. Very, I'll say this is a pretty diverse group in terms of just filmography and type of film. We've got Peter Dinklage, Alice Janney, Lee Gong, William Sadler, and Ashley Judd. Fellas, what are our thoughts on that? Dinklage or Judd? I agree with those two, Warren, that you mentioned, but I also I think uh, my favorite of that, those options would be Alice and Janney. Yeah, me too. 
Dan, I, had you to, I, I don't know. I think you're missing a golden opportunity to discuss uh, Bill and Ted's bogus journey with William Sadler. I mean, you're not going to get a chance until you get to the Alex Winter podcast. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you a movie. I couldn't tell you a movie that Ashley Joe has been in 15 years. Am I, I think you're right. But she was like the queen of the 90s, though. Yeah. She was. Yeah. She was. She definitely was. She's definitely got enough of filmography to be worthwhile, but... I would love to do Alice and Janney because I love I, Tanya, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Bad Education. Um, she was good in that. Yeah, bad recently education. Bad Education. She was great in that. I mean, I know we're a movie podcast, but West Wing. I mean, there's there's a lot to dive in. She's got roles in like – she was in Juno too. Um, American Beauty, in? 10 Things um, I Hate About You. Yeah, man, that's right. I mean, she, yep. You can go Mar- on and on about her. I, yep. I had I had no idea who she was growing up and the only reason I thought that name like I heard that name and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's a family guy reference. Uh Peter Peter Gr- <laughs> Peter Gr- Peter Griffin adopts a giraffe and names it Alice and Janie. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch it solely to have those who haven't seen drop to watch to for you guys to be able to watch that. that is Are we on cops? One of, <laughs> yeah, that is one of the most if not it's, Ever even it's been around underrated, but it's ne- it's definitely <laughs> underrated, but I feel like nobody's seen it. It's absolutely hilarious. I know a few of you have seen it. A, I recommend it to everybody. It's, that's definitely it's, a cult it's a classic. classic. The ones who yeah. know yeah. it love it. Oh, as I say, it'd be awesome to do Peter Dinklage because it'd be the only podcast in history that talks about Elf and Game of Thrones in the same episode. <laughs> oh, how great is he in Elf? <laughs> he's he's awesome. hilarious in Elf. But he's, you know, clearly what he's known for is Game of Thrones. So I'd spend the majority of our time. If we do Lee Gong, we'll cross a lot of the same stuff we hit in Watanabe's episode. Because they tend to cross a lot of projects. Um, mm-hmm. as, you know, she's pretty prominent Chinese actress. Um, but it's going to be a lot of the same ones. Memor- Memoirs of a Geisha. William Sadler, <laughs> we could retread Disturbing Behavior. Because he was in that yeah. one. We covered a couple it episodes ago. Yeah. And- and I will By take, far the one I'm the least excited about. I will take Not any opportunity to rewatch Shawshank Redemption. Because Shawshank, yeah. Too, so. And uh, Die Hard 2, another movie that everybody loves, but I see, or everybody hates that I seem to Oh, like, I love so. Die Hard 2. Uh, Colonel Stewart. Yeah. He's the heavy he is. Okay, next uh, podcast is going to land on June 4th. Um, much like Dan, we're going to have another guest. He, uh, he may be very nearby one of our current since um, and that is john rigby the twin brother of mark will be joining us on the next episode a roommate there will be so much room for podcasting over there in the rigby household we'll be doing it in separate rooms but we'll be wearing our matching pajamas <laughs> <laughs> we're we're excited to have john uh, he's a big movie buff we know he'll bring a lot to the episode. Um, Dan, it's been a pleasure, brother. It has. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. No, thank you so much. This was a blast. I really appreciate you guys having me. Do you have any uh, any plugs you want to drop? Any uh, any mixtapes that you're dropping on the world these days? Um, nothing really. Just uh, just say a shout out to uh, <laughs> to my uh, my amazing wife, who, as we record this, uh, we are celebrating our 15th anniversary today. Hey, oh, oh man! And now I feel like a dickhead, <laughs> and man. I decide to spend it with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you got to come back on the 60s. <laughs> well, now now we owe you a return at some point in time. Maybe Absolutely. A family holiday. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, man. It was great. We appreciate you, brother. No, you bring a lot of a lot of expertise. You're the first film teacher we brought on the podcast. You know you know your shit. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. That was well, a pleasure, you. man. It, yeah, brother. it has been. Thank you so much. So as we wrap up this episode on O'Dowd, 
Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram at Munson's Movies. You can always email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Please do respond to all of our prompts and trivia online. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll be uh, shouting you out as you uh, answer our trivia questions correctly. Any final thoughts, Munson? You know what? Let's forget about this. Let's just forget this one. Under one condition. Get your taillights picked before you kill someone. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?